0: MFs, welcome back. Hustle uh, so just like you broke. Coming off a beautiful memorial weekend. The unofficial start of summer is upon us. Should be warm now everywhere north in the northern hemisphere. And uh, excited to see what comes. Of course, that doesn't necessarily change the Groundhog Day we've been experiencing, but As we re enter society, we are seeing new updates, new headlines, changes in the the United States and across the world. Right here at home, Major League Baseball talking about playing to empty stadiums, NBA talking about using the Disney Wide World of Sports complex, TBD, whether or not people will be in attendance. But the NFL is planning a full season with fans. And I know that makes you Kyle Hamilton happy. Yes, it happy. Does, uh, fifty
1: thousand, hundred thousand, which means we're going to be all right for the touring
0: touring world. Well, we sure hope so. On the other hand, we've seen pictures emerging from this weekend of beaches that are packed, parks that are overcrowded. We see stories of pool parties resulting in over a hundred cases of this crazy virus. We've seen any number of stories of debauchery, drunken misbehavior, the Ozarks in particular, all of a sudden on the map for all the wrong reasons. Maybe this is a usual thing there, I just don't know. Um, But Dallas, you are well aware of beaches being packed, drunken misbehavior coming out of South Florida. How are you feeling about all this?
1: We down here in my part of the world had a little challenge this weekend called rain and storm, and therefore we didn't have any issues of congregating outside because uh, you needed a snorkel just to hang out there. (laughs) Um, But uh, what do I feel about it in general? I mean, my world has come to a grinding halt, and now people are just acting crazy. And so, of course, the question is, you know, what do I believe? So now I'm even more worried than I was before because the cavalierness of... Ignorance is not bliss and does not work well for, because if I get sick, I got problems.
0: You know? Well, ignorance is definitely a uh, pandemic unto itself. Uh, I'm not sure that's the right word, but uh, so be it. Now, our third host, of course, might know a little something about pool parties, Mr. Chris Lee. I'm doing you great, great this friend? morning, you know. Cocktailing it with the breakfast cocktail as I usually do. You can probably hear my daughter's Zoom class in the distance there. She's fully emerged in her schooling. <sighs> you do sound like you've got a bit of a smooth jazz, right Yeah, I've got a little afterglow today. for Memorial Day. You know, I decided to celebrate with the family, fire up the grill, and I took a lot of smoking yesterday, so I'm a little winded today. well i am happy khlub to hear that, I think. los <laughs> angeles <laughs> exactly so with all that said i also hear that with cases on the decline across asia and australia and new zealand they are talking about their reopening plans including some Modest scale events, not large scale, mostly on the smaller side. And of course, here at home, we are starting to see this concept of drive-in concerts popping up. And I, I mean, I'm happy to see it. But my biggest concern, and of course, we spoke to Jim Digby from the Event Safety Alliance in a recent episode. And we were talking about the, uh, their guide for reopening. Particularly in the smaller venues, and the one thing that kept coming back to me beyond this concept of duty of care was the need for trust, the the absolute requirement that we trust each other to comply with plans for reopening, with distancing measures, with cleanliness standards. Kind of and and that just begs so many questions for me because you see these pictures emerging of the beaches, of the pool parties, of the Ozarks, what have you. And, and I'm still left wondering, can we trust our fellow man, woman, at the club, at a show, even at an outdoor drive-in? I just, I, I have so many questions. I just don't know. Anybody else want to take a stab at that? What do we what do you think? I don't think so right now, not based on what we've seen over the past week.
1: It seems like the people are completely disregarding anything that's been said. You know, regardless if you believe in it or not, just being safe and trying to protect yourself and you know, be mindful of others, it just seems like that's gone out the door completely. Everybody is asymptomatic, so they're like fuck it. I'm going to go out here and live. I don't have the shit. I may have had it, never knew I had it. I'm living.
0: I mean, we can only hope that's true, right? Because you hear about this pool party with 105 cases connected within a week. I mean, everybody's obviously not asymptomatic. And and I do believe before long, more people are just going to have to get it. But But I'm now on the fence about What's the right approach? Because I definitely think we just can't stay holed up inside forever. I know with my own kids, I've started relaxing on the restriction of out get together with this friend and that coming over, going to their house, whatever. Like, I mean, to a certain point, you just got to live. And Kyle, I mean, I want to believe that you're right about the NFL being an indicator that, for instance, Coachella.
1: That's definitely going to happen.
0: And, I mean, I hope does. I hope it does. And in saying that, now would be a good time to bring out our guest for today, because our guest today started in this business doing whatever it seems, whatever is necessary backstage as a runner, working box office, as a PA, etc. cetera, before starting one of the premier catering companies in the business. And... She did the Warped Tour for years, and she's done any number of other major tours for Taylor Swift and Katy Perry and Mayhem Festival and so forth. She controls most of the major venues across Los Angeles and L.A. County. But what I look forward to every year is the catering at Coachella. And the reality is, I don't usually look forward to concert catering. I've toured with caterers. I've been to any number of festivals. And Coachella c- catering truly is the gold standard. I actually try to make time to go to catering at Coachella and see what is there cuz the assortment is it's varied, it's interesting, it's flavorful. It's 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 really it's really good food. And you just don't get that at concert caterers in general, although increasingly the bar has been raised and there are others trying to meet it. So whether that's due in part to our guest today or not, I'm happy to give her the credit. So welcome, Shelly Lynn, Shelly Lynn Brandler. We are happy to have you on the program. We appreciate you being with us. And uh, I've already told everybody a little bit about yourself but feel free to tell us more feel free to share your thoughts on the reopening although i should say that is not why we are here today we'd like to hear more of your story we'd like to hear more about your experiences and your views of the future and how we can be better but we are caught up in this this warped present so Mm. thank you for being with us and uh, share your thoughts please
2: well, hi, everyone. And thank you for having me. And that was such an awesome introduction, Matthew. <laughs> thank you. Um, as soon as you mentioned Coachella, my my heart went, oh, oh, my baby. You know, it was, it's definitely a um, passion project for me uh, from the food, but not just the food. I make the art in there. You know, they kind of just said, this is your world, do what you want. And um, here's your budget. And uh, the budget never reflects what I really want to do. But then I just make the most of it. So I, I end up making it a labor of love and making the art and putting up the fabric and, you know, putting succulents in and making it a vibe. And then, of course, um, trying to do interesting food and having stations. And I like to say something for everyone.
0: I definitely agree, and I definitely appreciate it. The love, the care, is is recognized, and it really is next level. I was telling somebody earlier, as I was telling them about you, that you know, it's not just the food, and it's not just the different dietary options. It's the it's the desserts, but even beyond that, it's it's the selection of juices and <laughs> yeah, the teas and the teas, etc. And it's not just here, soda or water. I mean, yeah. and that really is, you know, clearly ref, reflects your your taste level, and it respects your, oh, you know, your you. belief in, in good health and and nutrition and and wellness. And again, yeah, I mean, please tell us more about that. Tell tell us how you got started first, and then let's get into the food.
2: Um, well, I got started, uh, in LA doing most of the punk shows as a runner for golden voice, um, doing laundry for bands like nine inch nails or, <laughs> you know, runners back then, I think it was, uh, the nineties. The and, um, I worked my way up. Uh, Lalo was coming, and I had a, a, a stint as a production assistant, and then I was in charge of the runners um, on the shows in L.A., and then I got a break doing um, box office and press for uh, the Woodstock in New York in the 90s. And Kevin Lyman and I have known each other for years and years. And since um, I had that break doing the, it was actually press. It was international press at Woodstock. He said, I'm going to do this tour. This tour is going to be music and skaters. And we're going to go across North America. And you could do um, the press there. I was like, oh, okay. You know, The, the, the whole idea was kind of like new to me. And I got there and they said, you're also going to do box office. And this is before cell phones and before computers. And it was, it was kind of a shit show. (laughs) Did you, were you, anyone touring in the, in the mid nineties back then? Any of you touring? I want the
0: beginnings. Dallas, were you?
2: The beginning. Yeah. So I had, um, my first experience touring was on that Warp Tour in 1995 and, um, I used to wear roller skates around the tour and go from bus to bus to get people to come do an interview. And for some reason, it was like pulling teeth back then. Bands didn't really, they weren't really into it. But I was with so many, you know, punks and skaters and misfits. Like the headliners were Quicksand and L7, but Sublime and No Doubt were on the tour. And they were breaking just about then and sublime were like the bad boys of tour. I mean, they were constantly wasted, they were constantly doing, you know, these crazy antics and getting kicked off the Warped Tour back then. But um, you know, it was uh I had I didn't know what it was for me because I formed such a good relationship with Brad and Bud back in Sublime and of course, you know, we lost Brad a few years later, but It was a it was a special time for me, um, especially being from like that girl that was like the first so-called punk rocker in her high school. You know, I was like, wow, wow, this is the life. This is fun. But that was uh, that's where I kind of noticed um, where I could find a niche for myself um, those days on those first warp tours, it feels like we were all starving and after it was a day show. So we would do a barbecue afterwards and, and that's where I got the idea to start a catering company and, and do it on a tour level. And then my first, um, opportunity to actually cater on a tour was a warp tour again, but in 1999, which was, I had, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing and we had, um, Dr. Dre, Eminem, Black IPs, Peas, Blink-1A2, Ice-T. I mean, you know, I basically talked my way into catering it because Kevin Lyman, the starter of Warp Tour, and I were such good friends, um, not knowing what I was doing, but, you know, having to deliver and um, was able to continue from then after successfully, you know, hustling my way through 1999 Warp Tour and then... Um, getting a second chance in 2000. And then I kind of, um, I I, I got my baby teeth, you know, Mm -hmm. on how to tour, how to cater, how to cater for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and do it efficiently and use volunteers and have, you know, kids that I was mentoring. You know, my crew was only like eight or 10 people and we'd be feeding like 400 people. And just figuring it out, and Kevin Lyman, the prolific thinker that he is, really helped um, shape and form uh, my way of going about it and making it super efficient. And, and we like to call it deep and narrow. And so, like mean? on those warp tours, like feeding the vegans and feeding gluten free, or feed, but you don't have a lot of options, but what you have. You have, you know, a good, healthy, you know, if you eat chicken or beef or vegan, you get one of those, and then you get a side of vegetable and a side of starch, and then you get your bread or your dessert. So it was deep and narrow. The plate was not a huge variety, but because we were feeding hundreds of people in like a two-hour frame. So it it was a great learning experience, and then from there that's when the promoters from Coachella recognized what I could do i think in 2005 2006 and um gave me my chance at Coachella so that was a it was a great break to um start at warp tour and then you know my evolution of catering from there
0: i like that deep and narrow that's that's yeah. cool, actually
2: so yeah what does
0: that mean in terms of meals, though? I mean, just so we understand, I mean, was it three meals a day? Was it two? Was it one? Like, how did it start and how did it evolve?
2: Oh, God, it was so funny. So, it was three meals a day. The first meal would be a continental breakfast. We would arrive in a parking lot. If anyone knows Warp Tours, we were the goal of Warp Tour was to keep the t- ticket price like around $35. So, we could get kids to come in. And, um, it would start, the doors would open at 11 AM and it would be done about 8 PM and there'd be five stages and you'd get all these kids. We would tweet or do whatever. Back in the day, we would go out with signs. Do you want to volunteer to cater to, uh, serve the bands on Warped Tour? So I would have, uh, my own bus. I'd have two uh, trailers behind a bus, so my bus would say bus six and bus five would be the lighting and maybe the audio guys or whatever. They would have a trailer and they would hold uh, stuff for me and catering. And that would be my coffee cart and my breakfast kit. And then I would have a, a truck driver pulling a um, semi-truck that I built um, a full galley kitchen in with a walk-in, with three compartment sink. Um with hot water, with you know pantry, this huge semi that had a door at the front door on the side, and we would roll in at six am and we would roll off the bus and in our trailers, we would start putting up a continental breakfast with what we could carry in there, um, let's say fruit, like apples or bananas, muffins, we would do make your own egg station. And we would roll out there. And meanwhile, we would have these little kids, and I'd only had three servers and maybe six cooks. I had a truck maintenance guy, and we would have these kids who would want to volunteer and then they'd get to work for a couple hours, and then we would give them a, a pass to go see the warp tour. So we would unhustle this. Like I'd say we would be able to, if the tables were there, granted, if the promoter set up had our tables there we didn't have to go hunting for tables or power and we were you know our tent was there we could get set up for in 30 minutes and we would possibly i'd say about 350 to 400 people would come in between 7 and 9 a.m and it would be a continental fair you know the fruits the muffins the croissants the yogurts and um, the toaster and we would have our coffee ready and then the the make your own egg station. But we'd get these volunteer kids, we'd say, okay, this is what you're gonna do. See that? Go wash your hands. Wear these gloves. Put your hair up and give them a little pep talk. Like you're gonna, you might, you're mostly gonna see the crew at breakfast, but they're working for your favorite band and we wanna take care of them. And that would happen for breakfast. We'd finish breakfast, wrap that up, go into lunch from 12 to 2. Same thing, we would um, get volunteers, we would always call the locals first, we'd be like anyone local or from the union, please jump to the front of the line because at that time it could be anywhere from 500 to 800 people in line for uh, lunch and we'd have to get these volunteers because what I noticed is if you guys go to a buffet yourself, you kind of lollygag. Hmm, what looks good? Do I want this? Do I want that? But if you have this, you know, person serving you every single item, I could get someone through the line in 20 seconds. But if you self-serve, it could take minutes. So I couldn't get that, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, seven hundred people line going. So I got these kids, I'd give them a pep talk, give them a little training, what we were gonna do, the do's and don'ts, what to touch, what don't to touch, how to do it. And I'd have and this went on for years, and it was it was hysterical, and it was it, it was just something on its own. These little kids, and all the band, then the band started getting into it on Warped tour. Like we want to serve with the kids, and then it would be like if a band serves with the kids, we will let you cut the line for three days straight. Like it was such a big deal. So we always had band serving and kids serving, and then my three servers from Tada would just be refilling the food and keeping it clean and tossing the salad. And the six cooks would be pumping out the food and bringing it to the warm box. But that's how we, and we did the same thing for dinner. And that's how we were able to do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And start at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. Where Whenever we landed in that city, get that cold breakfast up, do lunch from 12 to 2, and do dinner from 5 to 7, and then pack up and have everyone shower and done by 9 p.m. And we got really efficient. We got really good um, at serving ma- mass crowds. And, and not ta- the only thing we took shortcuts on was really our desserts. I mean, you know, all, all our salad dressings were homemade because it was that deep and narrow. You're not going to do a, a massive variety, but what you're going to do, it's going to be delicious. It's going to be an awesome fettuccine. It's going to be the best vegan lentil cake. It's going to be the best vegan mashed potatoes. It's going to be a different pasta. It's going to be this. Like you're not going to repeat it. You're only going to, you're you're out here for 40 days. So in those 40 days, you're going to do enchiladas once. You might have to repeat tacos because they're our favorite, but you're not going to repeat a lot of things. And we got really good at doing a lot of different things because our goal was deep and narrow just whatever you do make it the best doesn't have to be a huge variety because they're only getting one entree one starch one veg a special salad we always did a a salad bar on the side so you can have the special salad if you want to load up on more salad it was help yourself you know salad bar with those little volunteer kids like putting stuff you know it was just a it was a special time in a, a, a once in a lifetime you know I don't think you know, moving forward post COVID, we'll ever be able to do something like that again. But um, that's how we used to roll. And I, and I did it for two decades.
0: Well, I hope you're not, I hope you're wrong about not being able to do that again, but we'll leave Yeah, that me so too. So I want to ask you about the evolution of, you know, healthy eating on the road. But, but before that, I want to ask, are you trained as a chef? What made you decide catering was the way? Did you just see an opportunity? How did that happen?
2: Yeah. Well, Matthew, I am that little punk kid that went to warp Tour. I am that girl that was wearing, you know, Doc Martens and looking for my next hustle. Uh, I barely graduated high school. I had teachers and parents pushing me to um, take college classes during high school to get through high school to graduate, I was more interested in going to concerts and shows than I was at school. But what I had was uh, moxie. I had a lot of grit, and I had a—I a, was very creative, and I—I um, I just basically saw when I was out on tour doing box office and press for that first Warp tour the uh, need. We were hungry. We were uh, catering was so shoddy. We didn't trust it, and I thought, "Wow, my my parties that I do, making whatever I make, whatever I learn to cook, are better than what I'm getting backstage. Why aren't this the crew and the artists getting better food backstage?" And I was not trained. I had some years working as a waitress and being close with the owners of the. Um, establishments and learning a little bit about management and waiting. But even as a waitress, and I, I had to be a good waitress. I had to get those tips. And I would try to make people laugh. I'd wear a name tag and it would say, oh, miss. So when they say, oh, miss, and then they say, what's your name? And they're, oh, ha, 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 ha. and oh, I, I knew I'd probably get a better tip. So I always was like that clever person trying to figure out my way in life. And when I saw that we needed a caterer, Actually, I was uh, it was I was with a girlfriend who was having a hard time, and she was working for um, a lot of record labels. And she was a really good friend, and she went from record label to record label, and she was unhappy from so many record labels. And she was a great cook, and I was a good idea person. And she came to my house one time really upset, and I said, you know what, let's start that catering company. People always say we're the Urban Martha Stewart's. Let's do it. And so it was a way to kind of help her at first. And I knew I had an idea of doing it, but we never really did it. So our, I think our first job was at the Palladium and, um, I feel like it was, I think it was like Primus or something. And we had to set up a table and people were like, wow, this is really good. And then our second job was, um, cowboy junkies at like the Rose hall or something like that. The Royce hall in uh, UCLA. And then we got a little bit break with the producer from Green Day asking us to do a house party. And then the booker, um, I always laugh when I see Andy Summer, because we did his twins one year birthday, they're like 20 something (laughs) now. And then we went to Kevin Lyman. And we said, Hey, you know, we started this catering company, we're really good. I think you should give me the shot on the Warped Tour. And that was 1999. And Again, we had no idea what we were doing. We didn't even have chafers. We were such a motley crew and and just faking it until we made it. And then we made it. And um, without really any formal training, just, you know, everything was by scratch. I don't know how I did it, actually. To this day, I still don't know how I did it. I didn't get my legitimacy until two thousand. Uh, meeting what would become my soon partner in business, Chef Mike. He's the real deal. He took me from, you know, knowing I laugh because this is kind of a true story. I used to, like, try to always sell, like, my chicken and rice, my tuna tartare, our spicy beef burritos, our pizzas on the grill. Like, there was just a small little thing that we did good. But when Chef Mike came, here's a guy who – um, graduated college with a philosophy major, law minor, who loved to cook and ended up cooking for, you know, his, for his career and working with some of the best iron chefs of our time, iron chef winners. And the, and this guy's really smart and he knew what he was doing. So that kind of, that gave me the the legitimacy I needed, you know, to continue and the confidence. And um, as it turned out, my partner at the time, my girlfriend in that 98, 99 era, didn't want to really do it. And I brought two big accounts in that year. One was cooking for Tom Cruise and the Warp Tour. So she didn't really want to do this touring thing. And I, and I thought, well, why don't you take Tom and cook for him? He just needs a personal chef. And I'll take Warp Tour, which I could, you know, I could manage. And I I didn't really have to cook. I could hire cooks because I needed seven, eight cooks anyways. So I kind of took that. She ended up cooking for Tom for about seven years. And then from 1999 to 2019, we were catering Warp Tour until it um, sadly uh, went away.
0: That's a heck of a story. I love that.
2: Yeah, it was. It was definitely a hustle. I hustled it, and I have some funny stories I could think of, like Ice tea. So that that nineteen ninety nine. Let's see. It was um, on that tour. Ice T, Link One Eight Two, Black Eyed Peas. Um, who else? Dr. Dre, uh, Rancid. Pennywise, I mean, it was, it was the ultimate, like we used to, we always call it the punk rock summer camp. You grind hard during the day. And by nine o'clock, 9pm, everyone's done. We have 125 tour buses with us. Sponsors. I mean, it's a crazy scene. So we're, we're done working. It's a, it's a day show. So at night, what do we do? Party. We all have a barbecue. We all have a party <laughs> every single night. And that barbecue really became something where you, you get to know everyone really close because you're stuck. Who knows where we're in a cornfield in Idaho. Like it, you're just in the most random places and it's always like a big parking lot. So we had these uh, big barbecues, but back then, like I, you know, in 1999, I was still a size two wearing like, like sandals with high heel catering 15, 18 hour days. And people would be like, well, you know, we love you, but we really think you should be wearing tennis shoes. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll get right on that. Because it was just, you know, we were really learning what we were doing. I didn't know, you know, as much as I do now. But Ice-T, he said so many funny things to me, and he's given me some of the best advice back then. So one of the things, I walked on bus one, which Ice-T shared with Kevin Lyman, and um, he was always saying, you know, well, we're such good friends, why don't I have my chicken or rice? Why are not you bring it to the bus? And so one day I did, and Ice-T, and I, told, I reminded him what he said this one day, and he laughed, and he said, mm-mm, Shelly Lynn the finest ass cater on the West side with the driest ass chicken, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: was like, like,
2: okay. You know? And then, you know, he can't say that anymore. Cause in 2000, ta-da, chef Mike, you know what I mean? He knows what he's doing. Or, You know, I could put my food where my mouth is, you know, chef Mike was legit. So that was one thing that that Ice T said to me that really kind of made me look at things and even want to be better. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to be called, you know, called out on that. And then um, another funny thing that Ice T said that I still use as my slogan. Uh, you know, when things get down, when you get down on yourself or you're having a hard day, he says. You know, Shell, you just gotta pimp past it. You gotta <laughs> pimp past it. And I was and we all still use that because think about it, you know, you you gotta pimp past it, figure it out, get your hustle on. Can't roll over, you have to fight for it, right? You gotta pimp past it. You just gotta keep pimping past it. So that was a, a really good little moment in time that I'll never forget, like good advice that you just got to keep doing it. What else can you do? You could
0: just pimp it, uh, we you might did. have to steal that one actually. got to pimp
2: pass it. Iced tea. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a, you know, when people ask you some of those moments and those experiences, um, I, I have so many of them from, Starting in nineteen, you know, the mid nineties and coming from a PA and a runner and having that bird's eye view and you know, being a young little foxy girl back then, and then, you know, being growing up in that kind of environment and, and starting a career and, and knowing that you have to kind of command respect and how you have to set yourself apart from it, but still have true relationships and connect with people and, and learn wherever you are. I've had just, you know, a, an amazing and extraordinary experience in my career and in my life and what I love to do and my passion.
0: Just pimping past it. I think that's it. Pimping
2: cool. past it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're definitely stealing that. Isn't that a good one? i credit you, but we're, we're definitely stealing that. Yeah. Got to um, pimp
2: past it. It's the I best. mean,
0: and, and And I mean, the title of our show is Hustle Like You Broke. And you keep yeah. talking about the hustle and the grind. And I, I mean, w- one of the best pieces of advice I've been giving people for years is it really, you don't have to be on stage. You don't have to be a musician. You don't have to be a production manager or a tour manager. You don't have to be an audio guy. You can do anything at all. And there is a job for you in the concert industry. And Oh, yeah. You know,
2: Yeah, yeah. It's funny because even when I was young, it it is about the hustle. You have to get your hustle on. You know, if you work hard wherever you are, you will stand out. You will shine. And, you know, other opportunities and other doors will open for you. Being in catering, as you all know, it's a hard hustle. We're we're up, we're the first ones up, and dressing rooms are the last ones to go to bed. Um, so how do you get people to be motivated to even want to do that? Right? It's it's a you know you're working really hard, you're serving others. How do you get a good team behind you, wanting to give them their best? You know, wanting to give themselves, and it is about the hustle because. It's been proven in research and data that when you do something and you do a good job with it, that you it's almost, and not that paychecks don't matter because they do, but the reward factor of being paid is less than the feeling of doing a job well done. And a lot of data and a lot of business research proves that fact that if people feel That they are, there's a purpose and they do their job and they do it well. That that is gratifying enough, almost more so, than getting paid more. Isn't that interesting?
0: That is interesting.
2: Yeah. So tell us
0: a little bit about the move from the deep and narrow to really offering a wide you know, representation of nutritious, healthy food. Tell us about the the move towards wellness and and you know nutrition on the go from from the perspective of of a caterer in this industry.
2: Well, for us, a lot of times it's really determined by what the writer says. So mm-hmm. we get you know the writer and it kind of blueprints what we are going to serve. We hope, you know, that our direction of the writer is, you know, something for everyone. Um, But it's not always the case. Uh, Sometimes we have to make some hard calls and and draw outside the line of the writer and Chef Mike and I have had um, many meetings of the mind where we say, we can't let them tell us what we know. We know better. We know we need to put something in there that's going to you know, be healthy or not healthy. Like we, it's a balance because some people on the road, who knows what you had the day before, so we have to listen to the writer and get the menus approved. But the, the trick is, is the balance, to give someone for everyone. Someone just might really want a cheeseburger that day. They've been good all week, and they just might need that comfort food. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's other people that really want their juicer and their salad bar and their special salad. And I think it's really important to always have a salad bar so people could pick what they want. But then also when people don't want to think about it. And I'm speaking of research again because I do do a lot of research. And a lot of research shows when people are busy and working, the last thing they want to do is think about it. They just want it there. So then I have a special salad. Um... I feel it's always important to give people a choice. I always kind of mix it up. If I'm serving chicken, I might serve a fish and a vegan. If the budget calls for it, I'll have a beef as well. But if I'm not serving chicken, I would do a beef and possibly a pork with that because mostly people would eat beef or chicken. A lot of people don't eat fish or pork. So I kind of mix it up where you have an option that if you don't want that option, you could go for the more popular one. But I always have a vegan entree. That That's a standard must for us, and it's an entree. It's not an afterthought. It's not like a pasta. It's something usually gluten-free, um, a cake like a chickpea cake or a polenta with broccoli. And I always have the non-dairy um, starch or something like, you know, a, a potato that might be, you know, someone might want that really delicious, creamy mashed potato, but someone might want the lighter option, which is the vegan mashed potato. So we just always just try to think of what everyone would want and, and make maybe 30% of this, 40% of that, 70% of that, 20% of that, knowing that there's only a small percentage that will lean to one way or another. Um, but the tour, it's really about the tour because, you know, a lot of you guys being in the industry know the infamous, you know, Morrissey stories. I was at that Coachella when he walked off stage when he smelled barbecue. You know, and and they kind of leaned towards was it catering, but it was actually the vendors. The vendors was right next to the stage and we were more behind it but he smelled barbecue and and from there on out he never had meat served in any of his catering so you know we work within the directive of the writers marilyn manson he's someone that wants us to reproduce taco bell tacos you know that's really what he wants and that's his prerogative you know we are existing from the fruits of his labor, right? So we we try to give people what they want um, and then adding what we know from experience what we need to do without ruffling too many feathers as well. Very I hope that answers your question a little bit. Yeah, I, I it's, a tight rope. it's a tightrope. It's a
0: tightrope. Yeah, for sure. Balanced. I, I, was, I guess I was hoping you were gonna say that people are eating healthier, but. To your point, it's it's about what the individual artist wants at the time, and you're right. I mean, we all have days where we say, Fuck it, today I want a cheeseburger. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, they usually end up feeling like a hockey puck to me. I really try and eat better when I'm on the road, much better than I do when I'm home. But, yeah. Uh, and, and that's often not easy to do. But uh, yeah, for sure, you, you gave a more than satisfactory response.
2: You just have to have a variety. I think that's the the secret ingredient is that we do have our steel cut oatmeal, and your brown sugar, your raisin, whatever you want. But you, and then you have a breakfast sandwich so someone can grab and go, and you have an omelet station where you could you know make an egg white. Like having that variety, I think, is the key for letting people make their decision and then keeping people's spirits up, you know, and not, you know, they, they have an opportunity to make their own decision and not force fed one way or another. A lot like Morrissey, basically, you get some grumpy stagehands that are force fed to not, you know, to eat vegetarian. You know, it, it doesn't keep the morale up. Let me say
0: that's a, that's an excellent point. And I, I've always said it is the little things, and often those little things are, if not include, then specifically are the catering that yeah. can be the difference maker in in this in your spirits and your energy for that day. because so.
2: then you say, I it, what the artist says it says, I I respect this way of life. This is what I hope you choose, but I also respect you and your choices. So I'm not going to you know force this on you. I hope you go this route. But you're doing me a service, so let me do you a service and let you have the right to choose what you, you know, want and feel you need.
0: Not just a chef, but also a philosopher. I like that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I can't even call myself a chef. I am literally a hustler. (sighs) I got my hustle on constantly.
1: Shelley Lynn, in the last few years, what's the um, most exciting thing you've seen as a caterer like in the difference of the way you do business? It, could it be something to do with the environmental products we now have nowadays to use or anything along those lines that you've seen in the last 20 years?
2: Well, you know, I go back to, you know, the good old warp Tour. I mean, you really, you could call it the work Tour too because it's a lot of work, but um the warp tour was so cutting edge on, on so many levels, you know, they were using, using, they were one of the first to use biodiesel, you know, um, reducing the tours, co- carbon dioxide and uh, for, you know, hundreds of buses and, and, and trucks and, um, being on that tour and being, it was the first of its kind. It was the largest in North America where we'd be in a different city every day. And I was doing, I think like, you know, in, in 12 dates we were doing like 13,000 meals in those beginning days and, um, seeing the waste and, uh, Uh, You know, having paper plates and bowls, you know, that weren't compostable, forks and knives and spoons, and and we could get them in California, but once you got to Idaho or um, you know Detroit or these other mid, you know, and you know the mid kind of states, we weren't able to get these, you know, sustain, you know, sustainable things, the spoons and the knives or the, anything like that across the country. So I was using a company called Cisco. You guys might know them. They do a lot of, um, they they service restaurants. For sure. Uh, they give them the product. You know, if you don't use farmer's markets and whatnot, you could use this, you know, this company Cisco, and they deliver it to you. Well, we were getting uh, about 350 cases of food delivered daily. So we're spending about $10,000 a day, like every day, just from Cisco. And we we couldn't get the same product in California as we could in some of these other states. And it got to be a point where it was getting kind of ridiculous that we had to really campaign, really get on Cisco, like we're not going to give you our service unless you start offering these things. And it needed to change. And we needed to utilize the reusable, you know, disposable dishware across the United States. And at the time, there was only like spudware, biodegradable plates made from potatoes. There's a lot more things, you know, corn and stuff nowadays. But back then, there wasn't a lot, but there was some. And we put the pressure on Cisco and uh, got it available across the United States which was never done before because we would go, you know, it was 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002, and we still weren't getting it. And it was around 2003, 2004, we started to get a little bit more, a little bit more. Now it's, you know, it's available, you know, across the United States and North America. But back in the day, it wasn't. And we just, you know, we wanted to reduce the landfill waste and, and we wanted to support vendors and products and procedures that we're using and are renewable sustainable biodegradable and composable so it was a big push um on the tour for the warp tour and me to have this you know kind of eco involvement to help you know make things better for the future so we were um we were a big part of that and it it didn't even it didn't even stop with that we were um we would get you know, sponsors to give people, um, cups at the start of the tour. So you would get your tour book and then you'd have a, a coffee mug, let's say sponsored by AOL and then a water mug, say sponsored by monster. And you get your tour book, your laminate, and then your two things like that. And you would, and you would use them all tour because we were traveling with, you know, it was a city. It was like a thousand people traveling every day. So we put in a lot of um, work and thought into Warp Tour to try to make it, you know, as eco-friendly as possible from the biodiesel to those plastic um, cups that were reusable to um, even, you know, research, like reusing food, like working with rock and wrap and any leftovers, you know, trying to reuse it. And any way you could think of it, even today to date, Tada has things like scheduling people together if they're going to carpool, you know, just doing those little things where you if you could make a difference, you do make a difference, you know.
0: We definitely appreciate that. We I was gonna ask you about sustainability next. So nice segue, Dallas and uh Shelly. Yeah. I, I love it. we We'd uh, had a gentleman named Adam Gardner on the program a few weeks back. He has a company called Reverb. That's their Oh, tour. I know
2: Reverb. I know Adam. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Of course. And he and yeah. I had actually done a a series of tours together. So, we I was going to ask you about, you know, whether you were offering carabiners or, you know, whatever they're here called like the, yeah. little, uh, the what are they sug uh bottles or something like the that. The pumps,
2: yeah. Well, it, it's for us we are really dependent on the venue so you know we are the house cater at the Forum. we are the house cater at hollywood bowl uh the greek theater um five point in Irvine, honda so each venue has their own method and uh when a tour comes in and they have reverb you know I, it really makes a difference and and making an impact on the whole recycle movement to reduce anything, you know, any raw material, any, anything. It's completely eco-friendly. Um, and it minimizes waste on a big level. It's very efficient.
0: Exactly. Well, and, and it,
2: Coachella we, does a great job um, because our numbers are so big, you know, one show dinner could be 2,500. And that's why when you, when you walk in, you my line kind of splits to kind of get more people in and move efficiently where you have a station you could go to, but then you have the hot food that the line splits that we could, we timed it. We were able to do like 400 people in 20 minutes. Um, but the amount of food we use at Coachella, they actually hire a whole team to compose for us, which is really admirable because, you know, you can make compost fertilizer and avoid using chemical fertilizers with, you know, all the leftover scraps we use for that amount of people.
0: Excellent. Well, And we're certainly hoping coming out of this whole pandemic situation as we pimp past it. Yeah. uh, Yes. You know, we that, that there is more of uh, of an embrace of sustainable efforts, and uh, you know, looking at other ways to 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 evolve as an industry and take advantage of this opportunity. Is there anything else that you guys are doing in terms of thinking down the road? Now would be a good time to pivot towards trying more of this, whatever that may be.
2: Well, you know. We're going to have to adapt post-COVID to whatever rules and regulations that uh, government sees fit, but I have been thinking about this without getting direct orders um, and writing people like um, Irving and Shelley Azoff who manage the forum still and um, talking to people at the Greek theater that is actually managed by one company, but owned by the city. And um, the Greek theaters is uh, definitely going to be a little bit more hardcore than I think is necessary. I think having something like, um, instead of the buffet where someone, you know, does the self serve which we've always had backstage, as you all know, um, having it more like a Chipotle style where we have that shield We have a server going to the next level, really training servers of what your station is and what is sterile. And the moment you don't touch these five items in your station and you touch something else, you wash your hands and change your gloves. The good thing is, is that, you know, catering already has a lot of these procedures, right? We're constantly washing our hands. We have the sanitizer in catering. We're wearing gloves. We wear our hair back you know, people don't work when they're sick. Um, so we have a lot of these, you know, you, you can't touch food when you're sick because then you would contaminate it, right? So we have a lot of these procedures already in place. But I think the next level for us to adjust to is you come in on a tour, we have a, a shield, you kind of point at what you want, you know, a person the, the stations will be closer together. So you have to, you have less people to have to manage it. You know, you point to, Oh, I'll have that salad and skip the quinoa salad and give me that chicken and maybe the broccoli. And they put that on the plate for the, for you. And then that's all that person manages. They handle those five things, whatnot. And then, They hand the plate to the next person who might handle, let's say, the salad bar, the soup or whatnot. And you don't actually get your plate to everything you have is on it and it gets handed through the end of the line. Something like that, you know, adjusting to how we serve, um, what we serve, minimizing it, maybe going back to the deep and narrow, maybe not having so much variety, having a smaller line to be able to introduce a new service. So that was my idea for the form. The form club is not ran by me, but they kind of already do stuff like that. They have like someone serving your plate for the hot food. And it's like a Chipotle or a Subway, you know, someone does that and then you get handed it at the end. Um, the Greek is wanting to do even more of a, um, I hate to say drastic, but they want all the food boxed up. And then put in a warmer, and I and I kind of am fighting back with it. I said, "You're actually handling the food more by boxing it up and then putting it in a warmer and then waiting it, instead of just having it on a steam table and waiting for someone to come and pick and choose. A, you're going to have more waste. What if someone doesn't want the mashed potatoes? What if someone doesn't want that or this and that? What if they just want a salad even and imagine. chicken? So there's
1: <laughs> just more ways. I mean, terrifying yeah, here. Really, people
2: suggestions. Yeah. Uh, Boxing it up, and you have you have more of an opportunity of it being you know handled more instead of just going straight from the kitchen to a steam table, and then you have someone just working with their five you know sterile station, and then what what Chef Mike and I noticed when this first happened um, two and a half months ago, you know every Friday his kids have a thing where they like uh, Chick Chick Fil A. So I don't really go to fast food restaurants, so I don't really know. But he goes to Chick-fil-A every Friday. And he goes, the crazy thing is, is they took my credit card and then they gave it back. But they're wearing the same gloves. They're not changing out gloves from each person. And I said, interesting, because I kind of I saw that at the grocery stores. Like They're wearing gloves, but they're not changing them out from my product to the next person's product. So it's kind of like a whole new idea for catering where you kind of have to train people. You, you know, you only have these five things that are sterile. If you touch anything outside of these five things or six things or seven things, whatever you say, if you touch one thing outside of this, you're not sterile anymore. You know, rethinking, retraining, you know, people of how to use gloves even, right? Right. No. Yeah. I was just thinking though,
1: as you were talking about this, it sounds like you're obviously talking to the different venues and it doesn't sound like they're giving you a lot to come back with. And is it, would you say that like the rest of us in the entertainment business, we're all on pause till some person appears out of nowhere, I don't know, and tells us we can now go back to work. But I mean, it seems to be a challenge in a lot of places. Um, And I'm hearing you say that you're not getting any real formulas from any of the venues. Is it safe to say that?
2: You know, I, you know, I have to say that uh, it might be out there. I haven't done my due diligence and really looked through it. We haven't got any mandates from um, the Greek yet; just informal uh, discussions at this point of how they want to do things. Um, you know. The Azofs, who I love, they're just, you know, say what you say, but they are perfectionists. And um, they, they really like the idea, you know, to keep this, you know, backstage experience. You know, they brought me into the form because they wanted to elevate it. Because their last caters, they felt, weren't living up to the standard that they wanted to be fabulous. So they're they're open to this idea and they like the idea at least to you know give people choices and not pack it up. Um, it hasn't been formalized with the Greek yet, but that was the first round of conversations. Uh, we have been approached by other promoters. Um, to you guys, were talking about doing the drive-in concerts. Well, we were working with the uh, promoter that's. Um, trying to make something like that happen and long discussions of how that would work, how the tour would be quarantined, how we would effectively work our way across the United States. And, and, you know, Matt, as you were saying, how we could trust, you know, these requirements and how we could be safe and protect yourself and protect others. And so we've already given it some thought of like how we would do it Um, you know, working on a tour that would do these drive-in concerts. And one theory is, is that we put enough people out on a team that we we don't give our team the catering any days off so the tour doesn't have to go and get their food outside anywhere but the tour. So you work within the tours, confinements, you have a team that takes turns. They're not going outside, you know, it can't be a two-month tour or anything, but it could you could do this for six weeks without people bashing their heads in, right? You could work within the restrictions. You could have a quarantine table just for the truck drivers, right? Those those people are the ones that are getting the gas and and going out and all that. But the rest of the tour could kind of stay enclosed they don't have to go to a store or go to a movie on a day off it, they'd have to be willing to do it and you know of course taking your temperatures and all that would be you know part of it but as you mentioned a lot of people are asymptomatic. I think the results came out that 30 percent of us are asymptomatic. so there's 70 percent that will show signs um and there are a lot of cases uh but the data shows there's we could get over it. So there are a lot of cases. The case number is massive. But the actual data, the percentage of the people that turn fatal, which is sad enough, is 1% of, of it. So, you know, we could get over it. It is highly contagious. 30% is asystematic. There's going to have to be... Requirements and you're going to have to trust it or not, but you also have to know that most of us will get over it. And the ones that are high risk, we need to protect, right? We need to keep those people on disability. We need to protect the ones that might have an underlying cause, but we definitely have to get people working again, you know? So we have to figure out who's at high risk, who is it? And, um, you know, open up again to make it happen. We have to take those risks. What are I our choices, right? Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: Shelly Lynn, I appreciate your perspective. Uh, I appreciate how much you've thought through. You know, all of these different elements uh, to the catering and the touring environment that uh, that we live and work in, and uh, and and you've been fantastic. So, we're going to jump into our quick hits and uh and and then we'll uh we'll say thank you again but uh please if you didn't already what was your first tour
2: my first tour was the warp tour as the box office and press girl in 1995 my first catering tour was 1999 again the warp tour and um and I'd have to say as much as I love touring with especially Taylor Swift and her camp and her people and how first rate it was all all across the board, every single step, the warp Tour will and always be my absolute favorite tour of all time. Well, that was Just my the... next
0: question, of course. My yeah. question. but <laughs> but But since you did... 20 some of them can you identify one in particular that you especially enjoyed
2: i i you know uh, yes i absolutely have a moment in time that i think i can't forget um i believe i'm even going to try to remember what year it was it was a year that offspring was on the tour so I'm thinking it was 2005. Dexter had his jet on the tour, and he would fly from day to day. And I became the frequent flyer uh, guest on that, on that jet. And one day, not even knowing, because I was on the jet almost every night at this point, we went to New York, and they it was right before CBGB um, closed down. And they were playing. It was like three nights before CBGB ever closed down. And um, on the on the jet that night was uh, um, Travis Barker, Skinhead Rob, um, Tim from Rancid, the Offspring guys, me, and uh, we went to New York. And Offspring played CBGB. You know the stage is as big as my couch practically. And I thought, wow, this I will never forget, right? Being that punk rock kid and here I am on a jet with Offspring who virtually was probably the first songs that crossed over from any kind of alternative music to pop music, mainstream. And And here's the kid that started working at 13 years old at Hot Dog on a Stick at Pomona Fairgrounds. So it was a real big full circle moment for me. And, and one of those lifetime memories I'll never forget. That's
0: fantastic. And and yeah. perhaps you've anticipated my next question as well. Would you say that is your best moment or experience on tour?
2: Best moment. Yeah. I, it was the most memorable. Best moment. God. Oh, I I, I actually even have even bigger highlights, you know, um we someone mentioned the ozarks and it triggered you know a day off on warp tour you know and being a caterer so on warp tour um there's no dressing rooms and every and there's no rock stars so you could be out on tour with green day and um Alcline trio and um uh, katie perry even was on warp tour and uh no doubt um link when it's these great bands but no one gets a dressing room and it seems somehow down the way uh you know from my good friends like Pennywise and NoFX bringing me bottles of Veuve Claqueaux or Dom Perignon and then when I see them I light up and I'm like bringing them food or whatever somehow I became mama mafia on the tour somehow you know, starting warp Tour, the bands would start sending me stuff to the bus, you know, to get favor because they didn't really have a dressing room. And the only VIP service you were going to get is kind of this Mama Mafia style if I bestowed it on you, and it, just if it was convenient. So then, you know, having a day off on warp Tour and you're in the Ozarks and people are renting speedboats and houseboats and jet skis. And, you know, you're... You're out with, you know, the day before you're washing lettuce and you're listening to Green Day and it's not the radio, it's the real thing. And then the next day you're out on, you know, a speedboat or houseboat with these bands that, you know, you kind of admire. It's your music. It's your thing. It, it, It was it's a beautiful feeling like those those summers and you're at the Ozarks or Lake Shasta or having a food fight, the most massive food fight you could ever imagine. You know, and this 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 cute city that gives us their camp hall and it's all Warped Tour people and a crazy punk rock food fight like no other breaks out. And, you know, it, it you know, things like that. It, it, very, very special moments in my life being on that tour.
0: Very nice. So other than iced tea talking about your dry chicken. What was the best advice you ever got?
2: I think it came from Pennywise to change my sandals and my jeans and my tube tops to something I could really work in. (laughs) They're like, we love you. We bought you these tennis shoes. Please wear them. You know, working, catering 15, 18 hours. But um, I think also just that pimp it from iced tea. It just kind of sums it up. You gotta hustle, you gotta work past it, you gotta make it happen, you gotta pimp past it. You know, <laughs> it's my really favorite. drives home the motto of you know, make it work, right? Whatever situation the show must go on, you make it work.
0: That's amazing. Um we've definitely got our title for this episode too. <laughs> pimp <laughs> past, past it. So is there any other advice you'd like to impart on our listeners
2: well i think we touched about whatever you do do it well and um being a mentor to 40 to 50 kids a day on warp tour and then my own ta-da babies you know um so many of them so many of them started in catering and what i preach is is you know you do a good job here. People will notice. This is not your end game. This is where your your start game happens. And I had, you know, many assistants. We had Maureen Balker, this beautiful girl. They used to call her mini-me back in the early 2000s. Uh, went on and did great things with sponsorship and and uh, got her start in catering. Shelise, uh, who is one of the best... Um, promoter reps for Live Nation now, got her start in catering. Um, Brooke Stanley was one of the best assistants I've ever had in my entire life. Got her start in catering and went and, you know, started working with Ford English and, you know, running Live Nation shows and then started working for William Morris. And then she's out on tour with Oprah. Um, many stories like that. I could go on and on and it's, and it comes from the foundation of doing what you do and just be the best at it. Even if you're the floor sweeper, just be good at sweeping the floor. It doesn't matter. And then the next job, whatever you do, you're going to be making coffee, make the best cup of coffee, you know, and having a sense of pride in doing it. And I always tell people, catering's not where you're going to end up. Look it, I own the company. Unless you start another company and be in competition with me, you're not going to you know, reach your highest, greatest good in catering. But it's a great start to get good at whatever you do and give attention to detail. And, and that's kind of what I want people to know, I guess, if I had any additional wisdom to impart on the listeners is whatever you do, it doesn't matter. Just be the best at it and find fulfillment in that and then move on if you like. But do whatever you do and have pride in it. And that's where your reward will come from.
0: That's fantastic advice. So we got two more and then we'll get you out of here. Speaking of doing your best, Mm -hmm. as an industry, is there any one thing that you think we could do better?
2: Well, I guess for from my standpoint, this is my, this is, you know, my perception from coming from catering and dealing with invoices um, as an industry and coming into LA. And I came from touring and I've had the experience of buying food from LA. And then buying food in Nashville and having my L.A. bill be, you know, 13K and my Nashville be 8K. So I've had the experience of the costs across the nation. And from my experience, what the industry could do is probably take an account that the economy of scale and the association of just being in L.A., is going to cost far greater than somewhere like Salt Lake, where the minimum wage is seven point, you know, seven dollars and twenty-five cents. So we would get. I mean, this wouldn't just happen one every now and then. This would happen consistently. People would come into LA and go, well, you know, what, what? I, just the other day in Salt Lake, you know, the catering was half this bill for the same menu or whatnot, and. You know, to understand maybe, you know, uh, to budget for our gas prices are more, our tax prices are more, our rent is more, to buy groceries here is more, labor is more, and to be compared to, let's say, Salt Lake, you know, is unfair, but happens all the time. And not just Salt Lake, you know, Colorado, whatever, that things in L.A., if not the number one most costly city to live in at least number two you know and as an industry you know look at we want the same thing and we're asking for the same thing but we're asking la to give it to us at a cost point that we were getting all across the united states but it's la and i mean as much as we pump our own gas here Hawaii gets their gas shipped in and it's cheaper. Everything in L.A. is inflated and it's sad, but we pay for being in this California state and we pay for it in our taxes, in our labor, in our work comp and all that. So I guess the one thing I would say that could be improved is is really looking at that particular situation of comparing cost of LA to any other city in North America and I think tours know that but I don't think they want to pay they really want to do anything about it they want their same rider their same dressing room for the same cost they've been paying but when they get to LA and it's you know a couple thousand more they question it I think that and I wonder why why does it have to be a big deal every single time when we know everything costs more here
1: There's also a theory I have on that, which is a lot of those people that are paying for those bills haven't been to a grocery store in a long time.
2: Exactly. They might now
1: have after the pandemic, but usually they haven't, so they don't have a real
2: cost understanding.
0: Mm Mm-mm, not at all. I think that's a fair point. I do. I think that appreciating local economies.
2: It's not apples to apples. No. An apple in L.A. could be $0.33. An apple in Nashville could be $0.17. It's literally not. And it's the same apple. But as soon as a truck passes over a California border, all the fees are more expensive to deliver here for whatever reason. Do we have more taxes? We, I know we have more taxes. I know each city we have higher tax rate than anywhere else, but it definitely is a difference.
0: So, Shelley Lynn, we'll get you out of here with this. Do you have any parting shots you'd like to impart to our listener? Or...
2: Well... Um, I'd like to say thank you to you guys. This was so much fun. And I would, you know, probably have to end this call with a sincere shout out to my business partner, Chef Mike. And without his extreme grand work ethic and his big brain on all things business, today I would not be where it is today. And um we make, we're very opposite. I'm the, I'm the hustler. I'm that, you know, pimp past it. And he's very cautious and he's very thoughtful. I'm, I'm the street kid trying to make it. And, you know, looking at that angle, I always say, if that door is closed, go through the back door. Well, and, and it's funny cause I do train my, my kids on this because going to tour, Promoters that say, oh, no, 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 you can't use our washer and dryer. And I say, well, if, if they're saying no, go to the attic, try a different window, go to the back door, go to the basement door. You keep trying until you get a yes. You're a dog working a bone. You stay tenacious on it. You just keep working it. And that's very much me trying to get what I get to get the job done, right? And and Chef Mike comes from a whole different scholastic background and and quite thoughtful and um, he is my rock and I've never would have achieved half of what I've achieved in catering without him. So Chef Mike, if you're listening, I love you partner. You're amazing and I know we don't always see eye to eye, but you are great. The goat, well let's say Greatest of all time.
0: Wow! High praise. Well, yeah. Jelilim Brandler, Tada Catering, catering.com. Yeah. We appreciate you being with us.
2: Thank you. We have
0: uh, another informative, enlightening, exciting episode. We appreciate you very much. Awesome. You will welcome back anytime.
2: Thank great you. Great
0: advice. Lot of a uh, lot of great stuff coming out of today. None better. Than the advice you've given for every occasion, but especially in this COVID uh, corona occasion that we are uh, experiencing. Right. Pimp past it. So that was what we're going to do. We're going to keep hustling. We're going to pimp past it. Yeah. So past it. Mm-hmm. Past it. Yep. We appreciate you to our listeners. Thank you. Hit us up at uh, HLUB Podcast on Instagram. At hustle like uh, hustle like you broke.com
2: Hustle like you broke.
0: Thank you, and good night.